0: We we're listening to Legends of Tabletop. My name is C.P. Dunphy. I'm the editor-in-chief of Kahana and on Books and the author of Walker And I very much appreciate you all being here.
1: Well, thank you very much for taking the time out of your day to speak with me today. I really, really do appreciate it. Oh, let's see. I, I was so pleased after I made the announcements that we were doing this interview to see that a fellow member of the Jimquisition Chungus Chill Zone Matthew Hudson had proudly boasted that he also had a copy of the year's best body horror 2017 anthology. Will there be an open call for more content like this anytime soon, or are you going to focus on other areas of the horror genre?
0: Well, uh, we had such huge success with the body horror anthology that we're definitely going to make it a yearly thing. Um, Mm -hmm. When That was the first call that we ever did. And, you know, as I I tell a lot of authors, um, you know, in our correspondences, it's been the most humbling experience on the planet, Um, you know, to to start a company from scratch. You know, we opened up in uh, April of last year and the response that we had, the authors that submitted the stories, like I was completely in shock and awe. Um, and you know, the, the paperback and the ebook ended up doing so well that we are definitely going to do, um, you know, another volume of it and we're going to make it an annual thing. Uh, and you know, we're also going to have a similar anthology, uh, that's going to be the year's best cosmic horror, but we're going to be kind of moving, uh, the whole point of this year is that we're going to be kind of pushing towards becoming a pro paying market. Um, because that is our biggest goal right now, you know, we upped the pay by, uh, over 500% and you know every few months we're gonna try and up it a little bit more a little bit more until we can hit that goal uh, So with the year's best cosmic horror, um, We're definitely, you know, gonna be seeking reprints. We're definitely gonna be seeking um, You know the best stories that we can find, but we're also going to be upping the pay, you know, exponentially and that's the big goal of 2018
1: That's wonderful to hear Um because Well, just from my experience as a freelance writer, uh, it's a little bit disheartening to see the uh, royalties for submissions and acceptances um, dwindling. So, but um, I'm going to go ahead and address. the logo that I saw on your website for the Great Lakes Association of Horror Writers. Could you please share with me your experience with this organization? Is it primarily for authors and content creators or for Gehenna and Hinnom as a whole?
0: Well, the uh, Great Lakes Association of Horror Writers um, is actually a separate entity than the company. Um, They've been around for, over five years now, if I remember correctly, they've been around for a while. Um, it's a group of really great authors, you know, all from that area. They do anthologies every year. Some of them are you know, only authors that are based in that area, and then others are gonna be authors from anywhere. Um, and you know, they always have open submission calls, uh, as far as I'm aware, uh, they're pro-paying you know, markets. Um, You know, and they're a very good community. They have a great, you know, if you sign up for the uh, membership, it's a great uh, way to get the emails. they let you know about events that they have. They have parties. They have, you know, release uh, gatherings. They have all kinds of readings and stuff like that. Really great support group. Um, They actually created that logo on the website because I asked them if there was a way that I could help cross-promote. And cross-promoting is a huge thing that we like to do. Um, It's completely and entirely essential. Um, because the thing about, you know, the riding community is that we are all in it together. It's not an easy path. It's not something that, you know, an everyday Joe would just be like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And when you do tell average day Joes, they're like, good luck. You know, it's a very difficult thing. And the, the backbone of being a rider is support. And, you know, we did a cross promotion with, uh, Dan Coxon of, uh, shadow Booth. And that went really well. Um, he had a lot of great stories. We did interviews for the authors, Sarah Reed, Paul Tremblay, Richard Thomas, a lot of really you know, great guys and you know, gals. Uh, so yeah, very, uh, very good to do cross-promoting. If you're ever in this kind of business, always be friendly.
1: <laughs> yes. Uh, it certainly cannot hurt at all. And do you anticipate another year's best transhuman science fiction anthology?
0: We are thinking about it, Um, you know, it was the paperbacks did really well, but what we wanted to kind of do with these anthologies was to kind of not really do like a full genre, but more of a sub genre, you know, something very specific, something that's kind of popular, Um, you know, with the uh, the release of Blade Runner 2049, you know, we, we just thought it'd be a good year. Um, you know, to kind of capitalize on the interests in and that and, you know, provide really great stories, which we have some fantastic stories in there. Um, you know, but at the same time, the response wasn't exactly what we wanted. Uh, and as we're shifting, you know, originally we were sci-fi, horror and fantasy, but it, it just kind of seemed to streamline more towards horror, you know, with each release that we had. And we kind of found our voice by the by the end of 2017. And that's why we're switching to cosmic horror and weird fiction. So, I mean, there's a possibility for it, um, you know, but no, no, uh, definitive answer yet.
1: Okay. Um, oh gosh. So you are leaning more towards cosmic horror and weird fiction in the future. Uh, when should we expect to see the open calls? The that? open calls? Yeah, we,
0: uh, We are kind of on a timetable right now. We're we're developing the calendar. We're trying to set up, you know, all the covers and all the, you know, interviews. And we're gonna start sending out emails to different authors for interviews that we wanna do just to kind of like organize things more. The big thing that, you know, that we're kind of like holding off on, like we released a release schedule. I don't know if you saw it, but a lot of the dates were like to be announced, to be announced, to be announced. The reason for that is because we have a couple of investors that are interested. Um, you know, and we're, we're writing up a proposal right now, um, you know, trying to provide all of the statistics and everything that we can, you know, to show that there is going to be an earning if they do invest. Um, you know, so that's what we're really waiting for because our biggest desire is that we have to pay these authors what they deserve. That is like, you know, the number one thing on my mind, I, you know, I will not continue publishing if I can't find a way to do this because that's most important to me because a lot of people would like to make a living off of this. And I want to be able to help them do that. So right now we have the proposal is about 98% done. All that we got to do, is just make the table of contents, organize it, send it off, um, you know, and a lot of it looks very promising. And, you know, we're, we should have actual dates for all of the releases um, at the latest, sometime mid February, late February, but it's going to be looking like, I don't know, five or six open calls. The magazine's gonna be bi monthly. Uh, there's gonna be the year's best cosmic horror, the year's best body horror 2018. Uh, we're gonna have an uh, anthology called Lovecraft's Dreams, which is gonna be all original fiction, and we definitely wanna do pro paying for that. Um, oops, I fell a little bit. Uh, but now that one is gonna be very interesting because we want to kind of like focus on the dream cycle of Lovecraft and have stories that originate in that mythos. Um, and then since Arthur Machin is going into the, uh, public domain this year, mm-hmm. uh, we want to do a great God of Pan, uh, anthology as well. So.
1: Awesome. I, I definitely have someone in mind, uh, to notify of that. Um, oh gosh, what was I going to say? I was going to say something and let me see. Oh, remind us remind all of us where we can find your content, where we can find Gehenna and Hinnom. Okay,
0: uh, the the website is uh, Gehenna and dot WordPress dot com. We are uh, also working to get the WordPress out of there; it looks more professional. Um, but our books should be the. I know that the eBooks and paperbacks are all on Amazon. Um, paperbacks are on Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, all major distributors. Um, We're working the kinks out to get the distribution a little bit bigger. Distribution is a very difficult thing for a small press to kind of capitalize on. It's very confusing, a lot of different, you know, numbers and, and, you know, contracts and and such. But we're looking at a few different distributors as well. Um, This year, a lot of like small press um, distributors that would hopefully be able to get us in a lot of brick and mortar stores, which is, uh, you know, a big deal. Um, So really any major market that you can find, the books are going to be there.
1: That's very promising to hear. Um, can you? I'm going to shift gears just a little bit. Uh, could you tell me about the things that you've learned while publishing *Plain Walker*?
0: Things that I learned. Well, uh, that is a that is a very 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 long list. Um, the, <laughs> the, the first thing, and I think the most important thing, is patience, because. You know, I published my first book when I was nineteen years old, and I was in my first 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 year of college, I think, I think yeah, about that time, and you know I had it edited, but I didn't have the patience. I was more concerned about getting my voice out there than the quality of what my voice would represent. you know, so I would say the patience is the most important thing. Plain Walker is a very complex novel. It's not for everyone. I'm the first person to say that, but I spent four and a half years writing it. So as you can imagine, it's very in depth. Um, we're coming out with a second edition of it soon. We're having it edited by David Beers, uh, who's a very successful science fiction author. Um, and you know his edits have been incredibly helpful. He's a fantastic person. Um, he was very you know easy to work with as far as that, but that's the main thing I think as a publisher and as an author that is very important is is how you present yourself. You have to present yourself in a professional way, and if you don't take the book seriously, you, the readers aren't either. You know, I also learned a great deal about marketing uh, lots and hours, and I remember there was a stretch where it was like six hours a day that I marketed that book, you know, and that's how I got to the bestseller status. It was, it was not paid ads or anything like that. It was constant, constant marketing messaging, blogs, messaging, authors, messaging people. And even though probably 2% of the, of the blogs and of the people actually, you know, responded, it helped. And that's the thing is that you have to build the foundations, you know,
1: Yes, yes, and you've got and to be open to, open yourself yourself to, the, to uh, the possibility of showing up places that you never thought you would. Yep. Um, that, that's been my experience anyway. But very briefly, um, I'm going to uh, interject with a word from our sponsors, if that's okay with you.
0: It's absolutely fine. I need to jerry-rig this uh, webcam a little bit more anyway.
1: Oh okay, well I will, ta- I will step aside for a brief moment and let you know about our fine, fine sponsors. The Small Batch Craft Coffee Roaster, Birds of Feather Coffee Company. They roast unique craft coffees in small batches so it's always fresh. Their signature blends showcase the amazing breadth and depth of flavors that coffee has to offer. The Morning Lark Blend, for instance, is a bright, complex coffee with a lot of layers. From the structured, roasted malt base to the honeyed sweetness that finishes with hints of citrus and spice. It'll wake up your taste buds morning, noon, or night. Check out all of the Bird's coffees and order now at www.birdscoffeecompany.com. And for a limited time, use the code LEGENDS10 at checkout for a 10% discount on your order. And don't forget to check out the Legends of Tabletop Legendary Brew, which is our special blend of coffee. And that's also available at birdscoffeecompany.com. So there we go. Actually, you can find the Legendary Brew by following the convoluted
0: link in the show notes or heading over to tinyurl.com forward slash legendarybrew.
1: Thanks. And thank you, Charles. Did you get your webcam taken care of?
0: Yeah, yeah, I did. The The clip wasn't working earlier, and I was having a small freakout session, so I had to get some tape and, you know, jerry-rig it. Yeah. all good? Oh, yeah, no, it's, it's okay. much
1: better.
0: <laughs> I was just afraid it was going to, you know.
1: So, patience being one of the issues that you had to overcome with publishing your book, Plane Walker. Um, now, getting into publishing, what have you learned that some of us may not be aware of? Well, Especially when submitting to someone.
0: Yeah, I was I was going to say that, you know, one of my happiest moments, uh, and this is going to tie into a very valuable lesson. One of my happiest moments um, was when I sent off Plane Walker to uh, Amazing Stories. I mean, you know, America's oldest science fiction magazine. I mean, they've been around since like the 1930s, you know, or before that. And they, you know, and they said they would review it. And that was really, you know, that was really awesome. I mean, I was excited. Like, I couldn't believe it. You know, it was so cool. I was like, man, I, you know, I've read these old magazines. Like, I used to collect comics and, you know, stuff like that. So I'd, like, read them all the time. And it was just so cool, you know, and completely possible. And, you know, they didn't really, like, trash it. But, uh, you know, the main complaint that people have had in general is just that it has a slow start which some people really like that because it just explodes at the end, you know, and they think it's, uh, one reviewer said it's like a, uh, a slow burning fuse of dynamite, you know? Um, but that was one of the things that they said was that, you know, for the length of the book, which, uh, It's
1: 400 and it's quite lengthy, is it not?
0: Yeah, I think 450 pages, I believe. Yeah. It's a, it's a tome, but, uh, but yeah, you know, they just said that the pacing, you know, was just not not where it needed to be. Um, and, and it was really difficult because world building, uh, you you have to really take time, you know, but at the same time, you don't want to drag on and, and distract the readers and have them, you know, not want to read it. But that was a really important lesson because, I you know, I don't want to say that you should go into submitting with low expectations, but I will say that you need to see every rejection or every bad review or everything like that as an opportunity to improve. You know, pride is the worst thing you can have in this business. You know, the, Oh, well they just don't understand my story. They just don't get it. They just don't this and that, you know, like that's, that may be what you think, but you're marketing to the readers, not to yourself, you know,
1: And I absolutely understand. And uh, just for example, the tale that you had published, that had been rejected and rewritten, resubmitted, rejected or yeah. rewritten and resubmitted um, about four times exactly. before it was picked up. So, I mean, I believe that the changes that were made were necessary. And I am proud of the story that it is. Um, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's
0: something, uh, I will say this, and you know, and this just made me think about that. If you have an editor, which I hope, you know, whoever's watching, if you don't have one, you need one. Um, but you know, if, if, if your editor goes halfway through the story and leaves a little comment and says that it should start here, I know that that's gonna hurt because you're like, you know, these other 3000 words, I mean, I, you know, I put so much time into that. I put so much effort. Like, oh, I love this though. My advice is delete it and read it from there and, and then read what it sounds like and how it flows and read, you know, from that halfway point, don't just ignore it. You know, if you really just feel like you can't accept it, you can always hit undo, but give it a shot. You know, if he says to cut it at, at page 10, And then you only have page 10 through 20, do it and just read that and then see how it feels. Because sometimes, you know, reading it from a certain point, you just kind of get a much better grip of, you know, the pace and and all this other stuff. And even though that other information is interesting, it may not be necessary. And that's the thing is that you have to be concise.
1: Spend all that time and energy building a scene when the action doesn't really start for a long time. Um, which, which can be quite a wasted effort.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, but that's, you know, the labor of love that's writing, you know, but I mean, I think that getting your, you know, the main reason everybody does writing it's not for money. If you wanted money, you'd be in something different. You know, I think the main reason is that writers want to be heard. They want to be read. They want to have, you know, their minds picked. And, you know, it's better to get your mind picked than to have something you really love and never have it read by anybody but yourself and your editor. You know what I mean? Like, sometimes, like, sacrifices are very important.
1: Yes. Very much so. Oh, man. Now, uh, while publishing Walker*, we're going to move on to Gehenna and Henna with your experience that you've gained there. Um, other than an editor for your content that you submit, uh, would you have any other advice for aspiring authors? What is the one thing that you have to unfortunately deal with the most that makes you immediately reject something?
0: Okay. I uh, I actually had a conversation um, with a writer you know a few months ago about this you have to understand you know and I know I know how this may sound you know coming from a publisher but you have to understand that we are making an investment in you you know that we are making the commitment to promote you that we are making the commitment to pay you and that we are believing in your vision so you know and I I said this earlier present yourself professionally because you know I, I if I read a story, you know, no matter how, you know, the editing is or the proofreading or anything like that, I always read at least to the halfway point. Even if, even if there are glaring errors, I always read at least halfway. You know, and most of the time I read the whole way through. But if there are glaring errors, you know, you have to understand that, yeah, we have editors. But at the same time, you know, if you submit a story that hasn't even been read through once, uh, that shows us that you're not taking us seriously, you know, and that you're not taking yourself seriously. Um, you know, and that's a very important thing, uh, for us is our time. And, you know, a lot of these, you know, a lot of stories that I've rejected have had good ideas, but you know, in the first sentence, there's, there's a proofreading error. I mean that, you know, the idea is good, but like we, we have like a limited time scale and, you know, if we spent X amount of time on this story, it would take away from the time that we have to spend on the others. And, you know, it, there's only so much time that we have. And, you know, it wouldn't be fair for us to to pour in, you know, hours of time into this one story when, you know, it was the author's responsibility to present it professionally in the first place, you know, because this is a business. And, you know, I, I did – before I ever did publishing, I you know, I ran three or four uh, online businesses. You know, I sold comic books. I sold antique books, uh, which I actually uh, – after we did the interview with uh, T.E. Grau, I actually uh, sent him some some old uh, little collections. Uh, I sent him something with uh, Ray Bradbury's little collection. Uh, I sent him something else that had like Ambrose Beers and it was like a Halloween, you know, anthology from like the 50s. It was really cool. Uh, mm-hmm. I have an embarrassing collection of old books. But, uh, you know, and I... That's, but that's
1: I, really a bad thing.
0: Yeah. Uh, but, you know, like I, I, I did all these other businesses. So going into this and i think that's something that kind of like helped the company jump so far so fast is that you know i have a business mindset and you know we've heard from a lot of you know different authors that that always tell us that you know we're very personable that we always like you know respond personally we don't just copy and paste we you know we interact we try to promote like we always are about the authors you know and we do care about the authors because as a businessman i understand that my relationships are the only reason that the business is still kicking, you know, and that the, 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 you know, not necessarily customers, but, you know, authors and, and you know, all these other people that we're involved with are the cocks and machine, you know, and that we need to help each other as much as possible. Cause that's, you know, the community. So, I mean, my biggest advice to authors, you know, that are submitting any story, at least read through it once, you know, and that's just kind of a, it, it kind of perturbs editors, you know, when we see that, because it's like, you know, we have to like print this or, or you know, read this or whatever. And, you know, I, I usually get like for the magazine, like up to 400 submissions every every reading period, you know, and so it's just kind of like it takes a lot of time. um. So that would be my biggest advice is to just polish, 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 which I know everybody says that, but it's true.
1: Yes, and um, and one thing that I have noticed and I will say today that I haven't said before, read out loud. Yes. Read it out loud to somebody else. Read it in the mirror. If you're alone by yourself, just read it to yourself. And if there is a hitch in that rhythm, you'll learn to catch that yep. and go back and rewrite that sentence to where it flows. The syllables, the rhythm, the meter—you know—if you—if you, know, uh, you, you want to get down to pedantic, so there you go. But, uh, but yeah, the the way that the syllables flow off the tongue, the the way that you play with words,
0: yeah. and yeah, yeah. I, I would say that uh, probably the most important, um, you know, part of this process is to have a second pair of eyes read it. Um, I mean it. The thing about the mind is that when you read over something so many times, even if there's an error there, you're not going to see it,
1: you Mm -hmm. know,
0: because your, your brain's already kind of like subconsciously accepted that this thing exists and it's just going to look over it. You know, I, with plane Walker, um, you know, I, I took me years to edit that thing and, you know, I sent it off to a few different editors and, you know, all this other stuff. And it was the craziest thing because I would spend, you know, eight hours straight editing it. You know, dicing paragraphs Like I spent so much time on it And then my editor would be like, hey, page one Look at this And it was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I've gone through all 450 pages I think that I went through the whole manuscript uh, Almost a hundred times You know, and there were still things I didn't catch
1: Oh yeah
0: so, Always get a second pair of eyes Yeah
1: always. I, I will echo that sentiment Ten times <laughs> Because I, I mean, I will do that even when I'm writing, just reviews. It, it's gotten to the point with video game reviews where it's almost mechanical. You know, I've got to generate, generate that content. And, and still I will sit there and read it out loud to myself during the day. And, uh, and even then after I hit post, you go back and look, bam, there's a, there's an error. Exactly. You gotta go back and fix it. Yep. yeah. Um, oh. And let's see, I'm gonna mix this up a little bit. Science well, I, I think I already know you're leaning here. I one of one of my questions is science fiction or fantasy? And I think I know where you're gonna go.
0: Uh, you might be surprised were you you suspecting science fiction
1: yeah i was
0: i uh i'm actually kind of weird when it comes to that i uh i love sci-fi i really do but as far as like something that's like hard science fiction i i definitely prefer sci-fi horror um but as far as world building fantasy and anything i mean you know oh yeah that's that's another thing i would tell the you know uh, we were talking about this earlier about the professors, about, yeah, i tell them about Tolkien. Anyways.
1: I remember also, her name anyway. <laughs> her name is Katie Johnson. Um,
0: so yeah. Um, but anyways, uh, I actually, you know, I, I would tell professors this when, you know, I, I actually wrote a few papers on this when, when the topic would come up about genre fiction. Um, Dune, favorite <laughs> novel. Favorite yes. novel of all time, but a lot of people confuse it. It's it's honestly not a science fiction.
1: It's space magic.
0: It's fantasy, you know. That's that's the thing that people don't understand. And you know, they see Dune and they're like, oh, well, this is, you know, I forget the amount of time. It's like fifteen thousand years in the future or something, you know. And they think that, well, you know, since it's in the future, it has to be, uh, you know, sci-fi. But the thing about Dune and Frank, you know, what Frank Herbert did with that book uh, was that. He ended the age, the golden age of science fiction with Dune. You know, before they had, uh, you know, Asimov and, and Heinlein and all these other guys, you know, that they're in the golden age of science fiction, hard science fiction, technology, technology, technology. Yeah. Dune and, and all that entire series, even when his son and, and you know, Kevin J. Anderson picked it up, uh, they never go into the technology. They You know, it's not important. Because it's more about the the mythical qualities, you know, and Dune is a science fiction in the same, or sorry, Dune is a fantasy in the same way that Star Wars is a fantasy. Another thing people don't, you know, really understand. Uh, because, you know, science fiction implies that it's fiction about science, you know, and, and and if you don't, if you have this tech, but you don't ever explain what it is, it's the same thing as sorcery.
1: It's you space know? magic. Yep.
0: Yeah. Oh, uh Another great story about uh, rejections, it would be very inspirational. Frank Herbert, when he wrote Dune, he submitted that novel to hundreds and hundreds of publishers and got turned down every single time because they said that the language was too confusing, it was too long, people wouldn't want to read it, you know, um, and it was right at that golden age, you know, I think it was 1964 when it finally got published. And uh, he edited it, edited it. He turned it into a page turner. If you haven't read this novel, read it, because it is indeed a page turner, even though it's so like big, it's, um, it's impossible to put it down. But, you know, he cut the paragraphs up. He cut the, cut the uh, chapters into segments into sections, um, you know, and he sent it off to Chilton, which was a, a cookbook.
1: Weren't were they the car yeah. manual manufacturers, car manual publishers?
0: I thought they did cookbooks and how-to's.
1: Uh, how-to's for your car, like exploded drawings for. Oh. Okay. Yeah, if you buy the manual for your classic car, um, it'll show you how to take the dash apart. How to it's exploded drawings like this screw goes here. This is how you take the door panel off. And gotcha. I, I I know this because I've had a few of them in the past. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. I don't know where I read that they did cookbooks. I don't know. They uh, might,
1: they might yeah. have.
0: Yeah, uh, they're nonfiction was the, you know that was the big thing that they were nonfiction and they accepted it, and then it became the best selling science science fiction novel of all time. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, th- if that's not inspirational, I don't know what is. You know, and and you know, at the end of the day, the most important thing is persevere, persevere. Don't ever give up. If you love it, don't ever give up because you don't want to be that old person looking back and thinking, man, you know, I really should have, you know, stuck with this because it takes a lot of authors five to 10 years to become big. But when you get to a certain age, that's nothing, you know, and then you're looking back and like, wow, you know, five, five years is nothing I could have, you know, I could have done it. And and now you're, you know, stuck in this, uh, this perpetual regret, uh, you know, so I think perseverance is incredibly important. Don't ever give up.
1: Exactly, exactly, because I, I mean, it's like I've wasted so much time already, you know, I, I always put writing into someday I'll get around to it, someday I'll get around to it. And then uh, I, through almost uh, kismet, I suppose, uh, I wrote something in one setting and in one sitting, sent it off. Uh, And of course it got rejected. And then I wrote something else in another sitting and uh, it eventually was accepted. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of odd. I I feel maybe it's, it's my age before I got started that led to uh, the submission rate of being accepted. I've written five pieces and four of them have been seen print in the world.
0: That's a, that's a good, uh, it's a good ratio. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Uh, what what else were we talking about? We were talking about Dune. Yeah, Dune. Dune. And I love Dune. And I I was going to actually ask another question about Dune, of whether it was Star Wars, Star Trek, or if you didn't like either one of those, Dune. Which one do you prefer? And I think you answered that question already.
0: Yeah, uh, I mean, you talking about like Star Wars or Star Trek, that that age old debate. Oh yes. Yeah, definitely Star Wars just because I like fantasy, you know, and I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, I grew up watching, you know, Captain Kirk, William Shatner and, you know, Leonard Nimoy. Like my parents are are a lot older for my age. They're, you know, they had previous marriage. So, you know, whereas most people my age grew up watching, you know, honestly, I don't even know what, but probably movies from the 80s and stuff like that. Uh, I grew up watching Twilight Zone, um, you know, grew up watching Star Trek, the original uh, you know stuff like that. Kolchak the Night Stalker. If you so, haven't seen it. I, I need to so watch those. So good. It's so cheesy, that. but it's so good. It it's a direct inspiration to the uh to uh X Files. Ah. Yeah you can okay. definitely see it's like you know creature of the week kind of thing. But uh but yeah you know like and I, I enjoy Star Trek but there's something about the fantasy element that's so interesting it's this mystery this mythic you know thing that you know this essence that you really can't understand but that you can tap into you know and I mean the force is one of the coolest things ever invented I'm sorry it's just it's so interesting you know and and it does that thing that uh that fantasy and you know a lot of science fiction a lot of uh you know different stories do and they kind of utilize this tactic as they create this thing that anybody could be, you know, and that anybody could be the chosen one. Anybody could be this, you know, Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, all this other stuff, you know, the ring bearer, the, all, you know, whatever. And and it creates that that wonder in, in the children, you know, and, and the young people that are like, you know, well, that could be me one day. I could be, you know, connected to the force. I could be this, I could be that. And that's something that I really love about fiction that leans more towards fantasy.
1: Awesome. Now, if you could have one superpower what would it be
0: well uh immortality
1: oh my goodness and watch everybody you love die yeah uh, there will be there will be others i suppose if you have eternity
0: yeah no i uh, you know it's the funniest thing uh my my beautiful girlfriend uh christina
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh you know i tell her all the time like you know, I'm going to, I'm going to live at least 250 years. This is a real thing. This is not a joke. I'm going to do it because, you know, they say that, uh, you know, people that are alive now, um, you know, the younger people, uh, I guess, you know, in their thirties or forties or, you know, and, and below that, these people are probably going to be able to choose when they want to die. You know, that they're going to be alive when that option becomes a thing. And I want to do it. I want to live 250 years at least. And, uh, you know, I told her that and she was like, oh, no, I'm, you know, I'm going to pass away and and and, dah, dah, dah. and I was like, you know, well, uh, you know, if that does happen and you don't want to live 250 years with me, um, you know, I'll just create an AI, uh, you know, that is you and your personality <laughs> and all of your, you know, funny quirks, all the, you know, inside jokes. And and then, you know, you'll be with me forever. And then I was like, hmm, that'd make a really good story. About a really old man who's been alive for hundreds of years, and and he created an AI of his long dead wife. I was like,
1: huh, that'd be really cool. That, and, that would. It'd be kind of like Electric Grandma, but yeah, <laughs> but, but young girlfriend. Yeah. Electric girlfriend.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, but immortality would be it. I, I don't want to be like Wolverine. I'd rather be like Legolas, you know, and and just kind of perpetually, you know, live. Just okay. because, you know. It, what was it that uh russ cole said i don't know if you've seen true detective um but he it's it's really good it's amazing yeah he says uh he says life's life's really short so you better be careful what you choose to get good at you know because he saw him like he could have been a painter you know and he's like why didn't you do it and he says that and that's true and that's why i need to live 250 years is because you know maybe in the next 50 years, you know, I'll move from publishing to acting and then from acting in the next 50 years to music. And, you know, it's just time. We need yes. more time.
1: <laughs> I have another one for you. You have the power to create one perfect movie or a TV adaptation of a video game story. And what game do you pick?
0: What video game? Yeah. I've always been a sucker for RPGs as, as much as I would like to see a halo movie or a gears of war movie. Gears of war would be beautiful on screen, Yes. but I'm going to have to go with elder scrolls. Like, and and, and if I had to choose one, probably Morrowind. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I love oblivion and Skyrim, but I just think that the, that the world of, uh, you know, Morrowind was so much darker and bleak and I loved it.
1: Yes. You know, oh man but what's the most gracious response to the re- to the why am i tongue-tied what's the most gracious response to the rejections and setbacks that you have faced
0: the most so the nicest thing somebody has said to me yeah yeah uh well you know that's that's something that honestly kind of like you know, makes me tear up a little bit as, you know, especially towards the end of the year, I, I got uh, a slew of emails from different authors. Um, you know, one in particular was uh, G.A. Miller. You know, he, he was the first person that ever submitted to Gehenna and him and he was the first acceptance. He had the story, uh, earwax and uh, the year's best body whore. And, the most supportive and, and you know, nice and just overall great person. Um, and, you know, at the end of the year, he sent me a message and, you know, he sent me a few before too, just saying how much he appreciates it, you know. And uh, I've, you know, I had another one where somebody told me that they had never dealt with, you know, a publisher like us before, just because we're so, you know, we try to be so personable. We're always personable. You know, we try to respond fast. We try to you know, if they need help with anything, we always do that. Like we see authors as, you know, a commitment, not just like, you know, something to do. Um, But, you know, honestly, the the most gracious things have just been, you know, the people that have put faith into us and then had that faith rewarded. Um, And just the constant people say that, you know, that they're really happy and, and they want to see where the company goes and that they're very thankful. Uh, one author that was in the transhuman anthology said that, you know, he sent me a message only like January 1st and was like, you know, I just wanted to thank you uh, for, you know, how much you try to get the book out there and how much you try to promote us, how much work you're doing for us. And, you know, that's why I do it. You know, is because of that. That's, that's the, only reason that keeps me going, because trust me, I don't want to read 400 submissions, you know, <laughs> and then in, in a limited window. And, you know, I only have about 15 days to do that,
1: you mm. know,
0: so because the response time is 30 days. So I want to have it out, you know, all the responses out by the 15th, you know, of the following month. So like, I only have 15 days really to, to sit down and read all of that. And, you know, it's, it's tiresome. It's stressful. Uh, you know, but it's, that's, that's what I see as a reward for myself is just helping these people, you know, get their voices out and get heard and giving them these opportunities. You know, it's just, uh, you know, it's just nice to, to have them, you know, thankful for that.
1: Absolutely. Uh, what's the most agonizing career decision that you have ever had to make? Hmm. Well...
0: Most agonizing. I've had some pretty agonizing jobs. I've I've worked in, you know, as a server. I've worked fast food. I've worked. Uh, I, I'm in hotels now in hospitality, which I was doing that a few years back as well. Um, and I did retail too. I was an assistant general manager. That was the most agonizing situation on the planet. Um, and you know, towards the end of that job, you know, the thing the thing about this job was that it was really clicky you know and i i'm especially down here in mississippi i i am very strange you know and when i when i tell people you know they ask me like you know what my beliefs are and you know i i tell them that you know i think this reality is probably a projection or something like that they're just kind of like whoa man what what's wrong with you (laughs) (laughs) you don't you don't believe in god and and i'm just like you know i mean i believe in something uh you know and that kind of created a schism and man they did not like me and they they really tried to make my life hard (laughs) so that that was the most
1: i mean that that is that in itself is a they're they're digging a hole for you to step into oh yeah At that point in time. And they know it, too, because you don't. That's something you do not discuss at work, depending on where you work. Yeah. No. uh, Speaking of, how did you make your first dollar?
0: My first dollar? Yeah. Like, in general? Sure. Okay. I honestly don't know. Because I used to do, like, you know. Chores around the neighborhood, growing like mowing lawns and stuff. But uh, my first real dollar—I I guess I'll kind of go off on a limb and say, like, my first like real dollars that I was making uh, was when I went to Seattle and, and lived and worked there for a while. Because uh, most of my family's in Washington State and uh, and Oregon, North Dakota, and you know I, I worked in the Seattle Center right by the Space Needle.
1: Oh, wow. you know,
0: and uh, worked at a little ice skating rink and ran a concession stand there uh, during the Christmas, New Year's time. Um, You know, and that was the first time that I, like, had, you know, I'll say real dollars, but, you know, of course, uh, you know, it it all went to the significant other, of course, but, you
1: know. (laughs) Speaking of dollars, what's the first music album that you ever bought with your own money? Let's see.
0: I have about 200 in my truck and I'm trying to think of which one was first. You know, in the age of digital music, it's it's really easy to just, you know, download stuff, which I did a lot in high school, but honestly, I'd have to say it was probably one of Linkin Park's first albums. Yeah. I don't know if we were connected on on Facebook when uh when Chester Bennington died. No. But that that hit home. You know, and I I was sharing everything I could about mental health awareness. Uh, you know, and I, I think that was probably the first you know album that I bought because I think that I, I got that back when it first came out in like ninety nine two thousand something like that. Um, yeah, so that was that was a that was a while ago.
1: Yeah. You know,
0: but they were they they were actually a very science fictiony band you know, they, all their music videos were really science fiction, and, yes.
1: you know, they had
0: like Gundams and stuff in the videos and mm-hmm. it was always, they had an anime one for Breaking the Habits, you know, they were always very techno, you know, really interesting band and, you know, that was a, a real shame about what happened to Chester Bennington and that's something that, you know, needs to be addressed, unfortunately. Yes, is now, I, I, oh,
1: I was going to ask another question, but now I'm not because that falls too well into this rhythm. But what's one thing that you're exceptionally good at? I'm gonna shift to a more positive gear.
0: Uh, I think that I have very good, I don't wanna say sight. Um, I, I guess I'm very good at reading situations. I'm very good at reading people too. You know, it used to, used to spook people back when I was, you know, in early college and in high school because, you know, I could look at them one time and and know their whole life story. I'm actually incredibly good at that. Uh, Very good at reading in between the lines, you know, Um, because, you know, I, I I was diagnosed, uh, you know, manic depressive when I was, you know, maybe eight years old, you know, and so I've been on antidepressants for about 15 years. And you know, I spent I spent a, a large majority of my childhood in front of you know psychiatrists, um, and I think that it kind of sunk into my brain a little bit, you know, because like I can I'm very good at like seeing people's intentions and and, and knowing you know what they're what they're really asking for when they ask for this or you know knowing what they really mean by that, and uh, you know I think it's also why I don't come off as very personable. Because I'm I'm very direct and very honest, uh, you know. But if I had to choose one thing, it'd probably be that.
1: What are you really bad at?
0: Uh, really bad at at pretty much anything with hand-eye coordination.
1: Okay. Yeah, I like. Uh, I totally you yeah. that. I
0: I can get into a rhythm and I can you know catch a football pretty decently, but as far as anything like a baseball or or anything like that or uh, anything that requires a lot of balance. And, you know, I did, I did mixed martial arts for like seven years. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that really, I don't think that counts as hand-eye coordination, but uh, you know, I I was really good at that, but that was more of like grappling and and actual like fighting. But as far as like catching and, you know, running and trying to catch something over my back, don't ever count on me for that. I will, I will let you down.
1: Oh, now, how do you like to hit the reset button after a terrible day or experience?
0: Well, I, I have this weird method of, of like handling things in the moment, you know? Um, So like, as far as like a reset button, Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if I really have one because Whenever I'm like having a bad day or a bad situation comes up or something that's stressful is happening, you know, I, I, don't, I don't see it as a problem I see, or I don't see it as, you know, an exterior force that I can't control. I see it as a problem that needs to be solved. So that's actually kind of my way of hitting the reset button is just taking everything that's stressing, you know, everything that's bothering me, writing down a list, and then just handling it. Scratch it out, scratch it out, scratch it out. Um, you know, I, I honestly don't really relax.
1: Yeah, I, I get that. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, let's see. Uh, da, 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 da. What job, if you were offered it, would make you immediately drop everything that you're doing to say yes to? Well,
0: my whole... Uh, driving purpose is to be able to work whenever I want to Uh, so that's a difficult one because the one job that I would really like is to not have a job Um, (laughs) (laughs) unless I want to you know that's that's what I think freedom is um, in this day and age but as far as like a a real job that uh, that I would take in a heartbeat and without any you know questions asked I'd probably say to be a publisher full-time
1: Okay.
0: You know, to to just live and breathe and you know and help authors get out there. I think, you know, it just it makes me feel really, you know, proud and and, and you know, content whenever, you know, we sign on authors and whenever we get their works out there and you know, whenever, you know, we see on the on the charts that you know the ebooks are buying or they're being sold in the paperbacks. It's just it what that means to me when I see a, a number like that is that, oh, there's another set of eyes. There's another set of eyes. Their stories are getting read. Their stories are getting read. You know, like uh, I, I I forget um, I forget what what her name was, um, but she was an editor over at uh, Sci-Fi and Scary, you know, at the website. Yeah, it's it's a it's a really you know pretty pretty high traffic website for like science fiction and, and horror and stuff. But I'll never forget it. And you know, this was another very gracious thing that I was told. Um, you know, I sent her the press release for the transhuman anthology and, you know, I, I, I just told her about it and everything. And at the very bottom, um, you know, I put in this little PS thing. I said, you know, I said, if, if this is too short, if this is too long, if this doesn't have enough information, if this needs any edits, let me know what I can do. The only thing that I care about is getting the word out and giving these authors the exposure that they deserve. And, you know, that was like my little PS at the very bottom. And then she sent me an email and said, you know, she said, we don't actually do press releases anymore. And then she said, but uh, this little tidbit at the very bottom of the message changed my mind. The part where you said that you want to get the authors whatever exposure you could and that you would do whatever it took, um, you know, and that was honestly like a really a good feeling, you know. Tensions intentions are very important.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Now, uh, let's go meta for a second. What question do you wish I would have asked you? What question do I wish you would have asked me? Uh,
0: well, I can think of two. Uh, one of them would have to be... About the birth of Gehenna and Hinnom and how it came to be, because that is a very interesting story. Tell uh, me,
1: tell and, me for now.
0: Okay. And the second one, just so I don't forget, would be to show these lovely books, so oh, people can see show the, me the books. Okay.
1: And then and <laughs> so, then tell me the story behind how they came to be.
0: This is the first magazine oh. that we did. Yeah.
1: Oh yes, that's very pretty.
0: Yeah, and, you know, I've been wanting to make, you know, to do a video about this. I just haven't really had the time. But when we design the interiors, I want these things to be on, like, anything you've ever read. You know, we we do have, like, interesting little illustrations in it. Oh, that's um, so cool. Yeah, it's, like, tentacles, you know. Uh, and let's get past the interview with Joshi. And then we have these little illustrations uh, that kind of show, like, you know, it has something that harkens to the story. Um, and instead of the little star symbols to show passage in time, we have an elder sign. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah,
0: And then at the end of the stories, we have like a little bit more tentacles because tentacles are always great. And you can't go wrong with that. Oh, yeah. We have a very interesting, uh, you know, format. This was the second one. This was the H.P. Lovecraft, uh, you know. Um, that
1: was the extended edition, wasn't it? Say it again? That was the extended edition, wasn't it? Yeah, With yeah a it was a, bit more it was Yeah.
0: And I don't have the third one. I think the only copy I had, I, I sent it off for awards consideration. This is the one that just came out. Yay! This is, came I still out.
1: need to give myself one of those. Yeah,
0: we're, uh, we're sending out the contributors' copies soon. But uh, yeah, I don't really know if you can see that or not.
1: Yay! Yes, I can.
0: Yeah, yeah but uh, and we also have like little illustrations in this one um, for you for your and Peter's story. Um, probably not going to be able to see it too well on this, but uh, this is kind of what it looks like. And I got a picture of like a like a forest, you know. Mm-hmm. I thought about uh, – there's a, one part of the story where he's talking about the clouds, you know, the the, the type of clouds, and it's like the – I can't the, pronounce
1: these. clouds. Yeah,
0: yeah, that. And I tried finding a, a good illustration of that, but I really couldn't. It just kept bringing up really weird stuff. Um, and then – Well, it should. <laughs> this is the Body horror Anthology. Yes. Yeah. We were uh, heavily inspired by Ellen Dotlow's uh, best, you know, horror of the year, as you can tell by kind of the format. Yes, um,
1: I, I see echoes of it in
0: there. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then at the beginning of each story, there's these little stitch symbols,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, just make it kind of look like the book is stitched together. Um, and then let me see, the to show the passage of time, we have, like, more stitches.
1: Ooh.
0: You know, But, uh, yeah, I mean, we just really want, like, I think physical presentation with books is very important. You know, every time that we have a cover or, you know, we're designing an interior. Um, what I think about is I imagine myself picking it up in a store. and I've never heard of it before. Would I, would I pick this up? Would I buy it? Would I consider it? Like, that's what you got to ask yourself. And then this was the transhuman anthology. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and that, this is the last one, uh, but yeah. And then beginning of each story has this little like techno, you know, symbol. And yeah. after the passage of time, it's got like this little circuitry. You know, That's- it's just it's just cool little stuff to you know make it look interesting. Um, but yeah, no the uh, the founding of Ganon and Hinnom is a interesting story. Um, I could go into the whole what Gehenna and Hinnom are. Do, do you know what they are?
1: Um, there is a valley where, oh gosh, it's outside of Jerusalem. And it's where the unholy were sacrificed. And Gehenna is where they their spirits would go yeah i'm not quite familiar with the with all of the story behind this please enlighten me
0: you know this is this is talking about this is always a a touchy subject um because you know just because of personal beliefs um you know and and especially for people you know that are uh into the christian judeo um you know religion and everything because the thing about it is that I had this professor in college who taught Latin and he taught Roman history and, and you know, all these other things. He's actually a filmmaker, uh, Miles Doliac. It was his film um, that we reviewed, uh, Demons, which I think is on Amazon Prime streaming right now. Um, but anyway, so he was the one that kind of like introduced me to this whole concept. I've always been a truth seeker. And. You know, he he taught he taught me that, you know, what Gehenna was in the Valley of Hinnom and all this other stuff. It's actually a place in, you know, as you were saying, like outside Jerusalem where uh, you know, they they constantly burned trash. It was no man's land. Um it was constantly fire, you know, and they would bring out prisoners and, and convicts, rapists, whatever. And they them out there, you know, and they would starve to death and you know, it was just like a real no man's land, you know, to the to the T. And The interesting thing is that in the original Hebrew scriptures of, you know, the Bible, of what, you know, we see today as the Bible, in the original Hebrew translations, uh, pre-King James Version, um, the word hell didn't exist. It was called Gehenna, Um, you know, and the word hell and, and, you know, lake of fire and all that wasn't actually you know, put into the Bible until the King James era, you know, when he decided that he wanted to make a universal, you know, translation because people were starting to learn how to read and there's all these different translations, meaning different stuff. And when people learn how to read and they become educated, they become intelligent, you know, and then they become uh, rebellious. So that was kind of his way of finding, you know, a means to control the output. And, you know, he created this universal version and, you know, there's videos everywhere. Like people don't believe me when I say it, but there are videos everywhere, bishops and all these other people that will will say that the concept of hell is a man-made creation, you know, that came around, you know, around the dark ages, and it was a means of control to an evolving society that was becoming literate. And that was very inspirational to me, uh, just that there was something that, especially here in the Bible Belt, something here that people take as, as the truth, you know, as, as, this is, you know, this is the word, this is something that is just not questioned, it is understood as fact. But then if you take 10 minutes out of your day to research it and, you know, or talk to a theologian, or talk to a historian, they'll tell you that it's it's bogus, you know. Um, And that was kind of where, you know, I I decided to get the title was because I thought it was fascinating that such an interesting, um, unique story uh, that could completely rewire our brains was literally right under our nose this entire time and i thought the same thing about fiction and authors you know that all these great authors that could change your life with their stories are right under your nose the entire time and you could have never even known it um you know which is kind of ties to our focus on indie writers we love indie authors um but the original. Gehenna Publishing House was the name of the original uh, company, and that's what the you know the emails tied to and everything. Uh, you know that one kind of fell through just because that that in, you know incarnation of it that was back in 2016. Uh, it kind of fell through just because I, I didn't really know what I was doing, to be honest. You know it was just so new and, and yeah, there was a camera, there. but it was just such a new thing, and you know I just had no idea like where where to start and how to market and how to do all these other things. And it kind of took me for a loop and, you know, I, I disbanded it. And then back in April, I restarted it. The funny thing is, is that I went through, uh, a really difficult time right before plane Walker came out. Um, yeah. you know, and I was in between jobs, uh, getting out of a, a really bad relationship. And, you know, I actually wrote, or edited and, and, and wrote most of walker while I was homeless. It's a funny thing. Yeah. There's actually an, uh, I did an interview on, uh, the book marketing network about it. Um, you know, and that when, when walker came out, that was kind of like, that was kind of like the thing that really made me want to, you know, tackle it because I gained so much knowledge, you know, about publishing through that, that I, I wanted to, utilize that knowledge to help other people that might be in similar circumstances. Um, you know, but yeah, like before plane Walker got published and, and all that, you know, it was a really, really dark time. Um, and you know, then Gehenna publishing house fell through and all this different stuff. And then, you know, we reopened the doors back in, uh, April of last year. So, and we, you know, retitled it, rebranded it Gehenna and Hinnom, um, you know, but, Yeah. And that's, that's another important lesson is that, you know, if you're starting a business, it's bound to fail, you know, especially with your first go around.
1: Yeah. And, and that loops back around to what you had said earlier of never give up and just keep on, keep on. Yeah.
0: Yeah, That was the funniest thing. Uh, you know, I, I, I talked about it in the uh, summation and, uh, you know, T. E. growl, Ted, he, uh, you know he's he's just been really really kind and i mean all the authors have been amazing um you know uh and it was the funniest thing because like Plane Walker came out and then uh, you know it must have been a, about a year or so before i did kahenna and hinnom i was reading his collection the nameless dark and i was like man like you know i i want to i want to publish these short stories like i i want to i want to like meet authors like this like this is so cool and then we did the interview with Joshi and then, uh, you know, Hinnom two was coming out and I was like, Oh man, Oh man. You know, like, you know, I tweeted out to him and like Adam is a friend on Facebook. And I was like, Oh man, you know, I'm gonna ask him, I'm gonna ask him. I was like, so scared. I was, you know, cause he was such a big inspiration for, you know, what I wanted the company to be. And, uh, you know, and, and he was just really cool about it and everything. And, you know, I, I, that's another really awesome thing. is just the people that you get to meet, you know, I mean, uh, I would have never in a million years when I was reading The Name of Stark, you know, thought in my head, hey, you know, a year from now, you're going to be interviewing this guy and sending him some shabby old antique books like, you know, it was it was really cool.
1: That's yeah. very awesome. And again, um, I, I want to thank you for taking time to talk with me today here at Legends of Tabletop. I greatly, greatly appreciate it. And again, everyone listening, if you like what you hear, don't forget to like and subscribe to our channel so you don't miss a beat. Um, And that's pretty much it. Thank you very much for your time. And I, I hope that you have an awesome, awesome next issue. Definitely.